0: Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all you guys here uh, on Facebook, YouTube. Thanks for joining us this morning. My name is Pastor Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I preach a lot at church. So thankful that you could join us this morning. And as you join us, um, we just read the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 7, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And I want to just give a shout out to several people. Um, our tech team continues to do an awesome job. Thanks, guys. Julie McDaniel, you rock. Good job. Andy Biddle, good job. Brandon Hebron, good job. Uh, thankful that we can continue to worship together in this way. And I'm excited to dig into scripture as we do that. A shout out, if you could give a lot of heart emojis and like emojis and stuff like that, for Rob Pearson, our new youth group leader, Rob We celebrate you, brother, and we're thankful that you are taking the reins of leadership for the youth group. Uh, We're very excited for you, and we know we had a social media announcement, but here's your Sunday morning announcement, praise God. And uh, we miss you, church. We miss you a lot, and we can't see you on Sunday mornings, but we're cruising the church parking lot. Notice how I said church parking lot, not fairway parking lot. We're cruising the church parking lot. This Friday night and we hope to see you guys uh, come out in big numbers and you know if you've got a minivan it's not a muscle car but it's okay drive your minivan around connect with other families and it should be a great night of fellowship and connection. So as we come into Hebrews chapter seven oh yeah one more shout out ah almost forgot uh Jeremy Klein thanks for the shirt sofa amen I, I thought it was kind of a fun jokey thing but it's cool like hey if we if we can make this be a a movement that could bless the uh remodel fund. Uh let's get those t-shirts or going and get the t-shirt orders going and heart and like all that stuff on on your uh social media feed and let's get those orders in. And yeah, let's uh, let's start marching on to uh, a remodel of our church building and uh we'll praise God for that. So Jeremy Klein, shout out to you. Thanks for uh spearheading all of that. It's really quite surprising and pretty funny and uh, hopefully God will use it in a, in a great way. So let's, let's uh, pray, dig into God's word together. Huge passage of scripture. Very excited to unpack it with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this moment, God. The moment that we get together every week and we get to focus in on the truth of your word. Lord, may this be a holy moment for us. Lord, it's not my ability, it's not anybody's ability that that makes spiritual things happen. God, it is your grace coming down through the, the read and heard and preached word of God that changes people. And Lord, we're trusting in you for that change this morning as we look at this amazing passage of scripture about Melchizedek. God, may you take what is foreign to us and make it near to our hearts. Soften our hearts, God, to hear your word and hear your truth. And we're praying for spiritual breakthroughs everywhere, all over our church, in the hearts of Christians, in the hearts of non-Christians. Lord, may your spiritual work be so evident so that you alone would receive the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we approach this passage in Hebrews 7, many of you are asking or wondering, are God's promises really true? I mean, look around. Are God's promises really true and active and real? Is it possible for me to have an anchor for my soul? Like Hebrews 6, 19 says, for we have this, sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Some of you this morning are sitting on your couches or in your living rooms and you're wondering, is that verse for me? Can I, can I really have an anchor for my soul in a time like this? Can I have a hope that is sure and steadfast? Um, Some of you are asking the question, can I really have an anchor of hope and peace right now? And if yes, how do I do that? Like the Hebrew church, people all over the world right now are asking these kind of security questions. And the answer from this passage and from God's word over and over again is an emphatic yes. Can I get a sofa amen? The future is as bright as the promises of God. You know who said that? the great missionary, William Carey. The future is as bright as the promises of God. God's promises are true and they are active today, especially when we can't see them. God's promises are true, especially when we can't see them. These promises have been sealed by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and his entrance into heaven as our eternal high priest in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 24. It says this for Christ has entered not only into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he has headed into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. The scriptures say that Jesus has entered into heaven as our eternal priest king. He has done this and my heart for you, my desire for you this morning as your preacher is that your confidence would soar in Jesus. I want you to feel Jesus, see Jesus and have your confidence in Jesus soar. Right now in this time of coronavirus, our confidence has been hurt, shattered, challenged. And I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is firmly in his place in heaven, on his throne as our priest king. And uh, we're going to look at him in his position and the promises of God are as firm and as sound and as trustworthy as they have ever been because Jesus has gone into heaven as a forerunner. Basically, that means if Jesus has gone to heaven, we're going to go to heaven. If Jesus is accepted at the throne room of God, by faith in him, we will be accepted at the throne room of almighty God. Praise the Lord. And we're going to look at Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek, he kind of comes into the passage as a human example of Jesus. He comes in as this priest king. And if you remember the flow of Hebrews, remember um, the author of Hebrews was talking. He's starting to talk about Melchizedek in chapter five. And then he's like, I can't even unpack these things for you because you're not ready yet. And then he spends all of chapter six warning the church, rebuking the church and saying, I really would like to talk about Melchizedek, but I need to give you a strong, firm spanking. And then he comes back into seven. He says, okay, now back to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is this amazing priest king that shows up in Genesis chapter 14. And we're going to look at his example and his life. And we're going to see how Melchizedek points us to our firm anchored hope in the promises of God through Christ. Our confidence can rise this morning when we see the type of men, both Melchizedek was and Jesus was. So we're going to see three characteristics this morning in this text of Melchizedek and of Jesus. And by the grace of God, we're going to see how it applies to our lives. So characteristic number one about Melchizedek and Jesus is that both Melchizedek and Jesus are powerful men. These are powerful men and you can see this in verse one and two for this Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the most high God met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Melchizedek is both priest and king. This is an amazing thing for one man to hold two offices at the same time. Um, To hold the office of priest means that you are a person who offers sacred or uh, spiritual sacrifices normally on the behalf of somebody else. So Melchizedek was priest of God Most High. You can see that in verse 1. He is priest of God Most High, God Most High being a phrase El Elyon, which means high and exalted one. So Melchizedek is priest of the high and exalted God of the universe. Melchizedek is connected to the same God as Abraham. This is amazing. He shows up in Genesis 14, right in the middle of Abraham's life. Abraham had just received the promises in Genesis chapter 12. Two chapters later, here comes Melchizedek and he is a high priest of Abraham's God. Amazing. He's also king. He holds the office of king. He rules and he leads and he's a commander of a, of a people, of a nation. Melchizedek's name, if you translate it, it means king of righteousness. Okay, so he ruled over the city of Salem and Salem is short for Salem. Okay, the future capital of Israel, where Jesus would minister and Jesus would eventually die on the cross, Salem is tied to the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. So Melchizedek represents two things: righteousness and peace. This is amazing. Um, what a powerful combination! Righteousness and peace are in the scriptures. If you do a Bible Gateway search or a uh, online search of the Bible for righteousness and peace, it's amazing how they connect because Melchizedek is a king who represents both righteousness and peace. And if you do this kind of scriptural study, you're going to find out, wow, there's amazing connections between righteousness and peace. Like consider these two verses on for size. Psalm eighty five ten says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. James 3.18 in the New Testament says this, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Melchizedek is a powerful man. He's a powerful man because he's able to handle two offices at the same time, priest and king. Almost no one can handle the offices of prayer and power. Almost no one can handle the office of authority and empathy. Almost no one can execute the role of king and priest at the same time. In fact, I would say it is humanly impossible to hold these two offices together. Uh, that this is why politics suck so much. Sorry. I I had to be just honest with my words. Um, Can I get a sofa? Amen. This is why politics are so unsatisfactory to us as humans, because Melchizedek had it going on like nobody else had it going on. Think about a president and a pastor. Pastors don't make good presidents. Can I get an amen? Heart emoji, like emoji. Yeah. Yeah. Put them all up. All right. Pastors don't make good presidents. On the flip side, presidents don't make good pastors. Do I need to say more? It's normally disaster when humans try to combine the offices of priest and king. This is why politics are so muddy, so maddening to us, especially in these days. No one in Israel had ever held the offices of both priest and king. In fact, the prophet Zechariah did predict that one day there would be a powerful man who would come and he would hold the offices of both priest and king. Listen to Zechariah 6.13. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit On his throne, and there shall be a priest on his throne. How about that? Have you ever read that verse before? And the council of peace shall be between them both. Okay, Melchizedek was a powerful man, and in Melchizedek and Jesus in a greater way, Jesus is a powerful man who holds the offices of priest and king. So church, I want to lead off by saying Melchizedek is powerful. Jesus is powerful. Lift your eyes up. Stop looking around at news and politics and superhero leaders. Lift your eyes up and find your soul's anchor in our powerful priest king, Jesus Christ. Characteristic number one, or these were powerful men. Second characteristic in this text is that these are mysterious men. Melchizedek was a mysterious man. Okay. You can read about this in verse three. He is without father and mother genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he resembles the son of God. He continues as a priest forever. Melchizedek was not only powerful, he was mysterious. I mean, no father and mother, no genealogy. Is this guy is this guy Jesus or what? What's going on with him? Melchizedek is not Jesus. He is not Jesus. He is a type of Christ. He resembles Christ. You can see it in verse 3. He's resembling the son of God and he continues as priest forever. The word resembling there in your Bibles it means identical in model, like a facsimile. All right, Melchizedek is not Jesus, but he is an identical model of what Jesus is in the office of priest and king. Melchizedek is very mysterious, which makes him so compelling, by the way. He only shows up in Genesis 14, and then again in Psalm 110, and then here in Hebrews. And other than that, he's not found in scripture anywhere. He shows up in Genesis 14 without warning, Um, You can see it in verse one. It says that he met Abraham after the slaughter of the kings. So the context of Genesis 14 is Abraham has just kicked some butt for God. He saved Lot. He's bringing Lot back with him uh, to the promised land. And on the way back, all right, there's this valley of the kings. And Abraham has this really big showdown with the king of Sodom. It's not really about Melchizedek at all. Uh, Abraham's getting ready to return Lot back to where he is at Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he's getting ready to meet Sodom. And this is going to be a clash. This is going to be a confrontation. And right before the confrontation happens, Melchizedek shows up without warning. And he's bringing bread and wine and he is blessing Abraham. So he just shows up right in the middle of this. And and the, the author of Hebrews in verse three tells us that Melchizedek is kind of a mysterious dude. There's no record of his father and mother. There's no record of his genealogy. There's no record of, of all this stuff. Plus he flies into Abraham's life, blesses him, gets a tithe back from Abraham and flies out. And we have no idea how his life ended. We have no idea how his kingship ended. We have no idea how his priesthood ended. He's mysterious. As far as the written record of scripture is concerned, there is no record of his life, his rule over Jerusalem or his priesthood. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just meant that as far as scripture goes, he's like Jesus in that we don't have any record of where he came from or where he went. Um, Melchizedek points us to Jesus and Christ's mysterious arrival and ministry. Jesus, like Melchizedek, burst onto the scene of humanity, and he he came to humanity in the most unexpected way, born in a stable of a young virgin named Mary. Jesus lived in a mysterious obscurity. He had to go down to Egypt, live there for a few years, move back up to a dump of a town named Nazareth, and um, John twenty one. The Apostle John says, I suppose if everything were written about Jesus, all that he did, I suppose the whole world couldn't handle the amount of books that could be written. What you have in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's a pretty good record of Jesus Christ's life. You need to remember that's nothing. It's a fraction of everything that Jesus did. Jesus was very mysterious. In fact, his his brothers in John seven came up to Jesus and they said, dude, if you're, if you're really the son of God, if you're really somebody great, why wouldn't you just go show yourself to the public? What's with all this going around privately and doing all your stuff? If you're really a leader, go public. And Jesus said, your time is always right. My time's not yet come. Jesus had this idea. He had this idea mysterious impact on society that, that existed in the margins. I mean, Jesus's miracles were done in Nazareth and Galilee, not exactly the front and center place for the son of God to be identified and to be worshiped. He, he did it in the margins. Jesus is mysterious like Melchizedek. Sometimes he just shows up in your life. Sometimes he just just does a work in your life. Sometimes he does a miracle in your life. and, And you know what? There's no CNN cameras to capture it. The Des Moines Register doesn't come to your house to do the story on what Jesus does in your life. Jesus exists in the margins. Can I get a sofa? Amen. He does some of his greatest works without being seen. This is a huge difference with how our modern world operates, right? We want lots of likes on our Facebook and Instagram and all of our our social media outlets. We want lots of attention for what we're doing. In fact, I, I even shared this online service on my Facebook page this morning because I want people to watch. But here's what I've been noticing even this week. There's a huge difference. Between the media articles that I read and the people I talk to in our neighborhoods, there's a massive difference because the people I've talked to this week on the streets, they've been amazing conversations, good, amazing things that God is doing. And you know what? There's no news cameras, there's no articles being written. And I have walked away several times, even this week, thinking, Jesus, that's where you are. You're working in the margins. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 says, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now, can I preach just a little bit, church? Living Waters Fellowship, can I just say to you right now, aren't you blessed to be normal? In fact, I look at myself, and I'm like, I might be a little bit below normal. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. What, what matters is that Jesus is mysterious in the way that he works in my marginal life and in yours as well. And when we all recognize that together, we have a work of Christ. We're all trophies of grace here. Every person that is in this room where I'm at right now, trophy of grace, trophy of grace, trophy of grace, trophy of grace. You are a trophy of grace. Jesus is working in the margins. Jesus's life on this earth was short, 33 years. He is from eternity past and he exists into eternity future. Jesus in 33 short years revolutionized the world. He was mysterious and we're still discovering all that he has done through the cross and resurrection from the dead. So these are mysterious men, Melchizedek and Jesus. And finally, these are superior men. Melchizedek was a superior man. And you can read about this in verse four through 10. See how great this man was to whom the Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And also the descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from the brothers though they are descendants from Abraham. And if you skip down to verse seven, it says it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In one case, ties are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom is testify that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself was receive who received ties, paid ties through Abraham for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Melchizedek was a superior man. He was a higher ranking man. Abraham, the father of Israel and the receiver of the promises of God, paid tithes to the priest king from Jerusalem. This is amazing. Abraham saw Melchizedek and he recognized this guy is a higher rank than me. And it is totally appropriate for me to recognize his authority by paying him a tithe of everything that I just won through the victory of military. Abraham gladly and joyfully gave Melchizedek 10% of the spoils of war. This is so significant because verse seven tells us that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Melchizedek is the superior one. He comes in, blesses Abraham and Abraham as the inferior gives a tithe to his superior Melchizedek. I don't think those guys knew the significance of that moment. I don't believe so. I think they just, they were in the moment. It was the right thing to do. Abraham sensed that God was behind this whole greeting and this whole meeting spot. And I think he just said, this is the right thing. And this divine moment was theirs. Thousands of years later, we look on that divine moment of Genesis 14. And we say, that is an amazing moment the father of millions hundreds of millions of people through abraham that have been blessed all of those people tie back to this moment where abraham gives to melchizedek who is mysterious and higher as a priest king this is an amazing thing but isn't that how it works in our lives we don't we don't always recognize the divine moments when they happen. We don't recognize the importance of them. We don't recognize the small things. And yet this is the, this is the amazing miracle of God to bring about an amazing work of God through the meeting of Abraham and Melchizedek. Melchizedek's superiority is, is seen in, in light of the tribe of Levi tithing to Melchizedek. In essence, the entire priesthood of Israel tithed to Melchizedek. So, all the guys, Aaron and all the rest, who received tithes from God's people, in essence, they were giving a tithe to Melchizedek, saying, You're the man. That's an amazing reality. And like Melchizedek, Jesus in 2020, is the superior man. Jesus is the superior priest. He is superior. He's higher than any religion that you've grown up with, any religious tradition that you've grown up with. Jesus is better. Can I get a sofa? amen? Jesus is higher. He is superior than any religious tradition you're trusting in right now. Jesus is superior to all religions, all traditions, all priests will bow their knee to the greater Melchizedek, Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is the risen priest king existing in heaven right now. He loves you. He loves me. He's he's compassionate towards our needs. He's hearing our prayers. And yet he's also ruling and reigning. And we don't give Jesus a tithe. We don't give him 10%. We give him everything. If you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you've given him 100% of who you are. Jesus is worthy of more than a tithe. He's worthy than more than your 10% tithe physically. He's worthy of your heart. So as we close, the promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. All the promises that are found in the Old Testament, into the New Testament, all of them are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Jesus is a powerful man. He is a mysterious man. And he is a superior man. And for those of you who know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to recognize his position this morning, his authority this morning. If you're discouraged as a Christian, You need to understand that Christ is on the throne. Whether your life is going like you expected it to go or not, he's on his throne. Whether you think it's comfortable for you or not, Christ is on his throne as the priest king. Christian, enjoy that. Enjoy that truth. Love it. Find your joy in it this morning. Spend time with Jesus. For some of you, the reason you don't have any hope or peace in this life is because you don't have Jesus in your heart. Some of you have no hope and no peace this morning because you don't have the priest king in your heart. Christ died on the cross for you. He rose again for you. And he wants to give you a firm dose of hope and peace. And some of you watching for the first time in your life need to surrender your heart and mind to Jesus, his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection from the dead and his victorious position in heaven right now. If you choose to do that this morning, you'll be saved. That's what we like to say that the Bible says, you'll be saved, be forgiven of your sins. It's the greatest reality that's ever happened to you. And if you're a believer in Jesus, man, we have so much hope. We have so much joy. We have so much peace through our great P- priest king. Some of you know the old hymn, and I'm going to ask Brandon maybe to come and sing with me. Um, Nothing but the blood. You guys remember that old hymn? Brandon and I are going to sing that uh, just a cappella, I think. Yeah. And just meditate on the truth that hope and peace come through only one man. The powerful, mysterious, and superior Jesus Christ, and I hope you can enjoy that, embrace that for yourself this morning. And it goes, it goes a little something uh, like this, right? This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness nothing but the blood of Jesus and oh precious is the flow that makes me white as snow oh, no Fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we lift you up. Close our time together and Lord, we ask that Melchizedek's story would point us to Jesus. The powerful and the superior and the mysterious Melchizedek would point us to Jesus and his greater position as priest king. And Lord, as we consider Jesus, your position right now on the throne of heaven, ruling as king, loving us as the high priest. Lord, may all of our hope and peace come from that vision. Lord, minister to believers. Lift their hearts to put their hope and their faith in you. Jesus, you've got us. you got this, Lord. And you're going to empower us to push through. And Jesus, for those who are out there watching this sermon or in our audience God and they're, they're hopeless they don't have peace Lord would you give them peace for the first time through the blood of Jesus may this be the moment that they surrender may this be the moment that they get saved may this be the moment that they confess that their lives are Jesus's now Lord would you save people and redeem people and restore people and give people joy in who you are Jesus, you're greater than a virus. You're greater than our inconveniences. You're greater than anything that we're carrying this morning. Jesus, you're greater. You care about us. You have all authority to take these things away. But Lord, help us not to look at things being taken away from us for joy. Help us to look to you, Jesus, alone for our joy. May nothing else satisfy us. May nothing else Give us the peace that we are longing for, except for you, Jesus, and our relationship with you. we say yes and amen to your promises. Yes and amen to the struggles that we're walking through. We receive the victory from afar. We believe you for great things, Jesus. We pray in your name, amen.